Lots, actually, of engagements happening around our church in these, uh, these months. Again, um, Aaron and Paige took the plunge this week. But this has been a season, and I count them up, I, and several of you are here today, but there's, I believe, at least five couples in our church that are engaged and, and preparing for, for their wedding day at this season. And that's by far the most ever at one time that I have known, and I'm thinking group Premarital counseling. Amen? Does anybody say a class? Yes. Um, but I'm excited about this time. And my excitement pales in comparison to the excitement, though, of these who are getting ready to get married. And uh, I, we were watching, talking with Paige a little bit yesterday. There are colors to choose. There are venues to be selected. You know, in my day, it was just, you just go to the church and you get married. But there's venues for the church and for the ceremony and for the reception. There's invitations to select, guest lists to construct, invitations to be sent out, dresses and suits to be selected. Aaron really wanted a pink tie, but, Aaron, but Paige was kind of saying no to that. I don't know. Or maybe that was the other way around. I, I'm not sure. Um, I'm sure even a hundred other things to do that I'm not even aware of. I don't even know what goes on. They have these wedding expos now these days. It is a huge industry, and there is so much uh, to do for these, these brides and these grooms. Last year, we had a wonderful wedding right around this time. Peter and Robin got married right here. Can you remember that, Peter? Wasn't that awesome? <laughs> It was just like a year ago. It was so great. And, uh, and it was a, a Christmas wedding. And we took advantage of the lights and the poinsettias and the greenery. And what a beautiful uh, time in our, in our church, that wedding that was coming to my mind again this week. We've had a few other Christmas weddings over the years, and they never disappoint. Christmas weddings, especially in Santa Barbara, are pretty nice. And uh, we, how many of you got married around Christmas time? Yeah, all right, there's a few. Right on, right on. The Christmas wedding, I love it, that's right. Well, um, today we're wrapping up our, our uh, Messiah origins portion of our series in the Gospel of John on this last Sunday of Advent. Next week we'll actually stay in this overall series in the Gospel of John that we're calling Messiah, but we're going to shift into a new section called Messiah Encounters. We'll be studying several interactions that Jesus had with people in the next several chapters of the book of John and the ways that he met face-to-face and one-on-one with with a variety of different folks, and you won't want to miss that uh, next Sunday. But we continue today in our Advent journey through these first couple of chapters in the Gospel of John, and we arrive at today in chapter 2... of all places, we arrive at a wedding. And some of you are thinking, it's the Sunday before Christmas. We're not supposed to be talking about weddings. But we've already set the stage. Christmas and weddings go together. And we're calling this, I'm calling this, and you can call it with me if you choose. We're calling this a Christmas wedding today. This passage that we'll read from today. Not obviously because the wedding took place at Christmas time. Uh, Jesus had barely begun his public ministry. Uh, there had not yet been a cross, nor an empty tomb. There had not been any miracles to this point. His fame had not yet spread. His birth was not yet being celebrated. 
around the world. In other words, there was no Christmas at this point, so there could be no Christmas wedding as we know of them. But no, I'm calling it a, a Christmas wedding, although there are no poinsettias or greenery lights, because it was at this wedding that we'll read about in John 2, where for the very first time in a public setting, Jesus began to put on to display some of the key truths that we celebrate at Christmas time. It was here at this wedding where Jesus burst onto the scene and began to live out in a very public way all the promises that had been spoken of him on that night when he was first born. Here, in other words, was Christmas in action. Here, in other words, was Jesus doing what he was born to do. So let's go with Jesus to a Christmas wedding. And let's allow this scene, as I read it and as we meditate on it for a few moments this morning, to remind us of some of the beautiful and of some of the powerful, dare I say, some of the revolutionary realities that we celebrate at this season of the year. So let's stand together, can we? I have it on the screen. If you want to turn there in your Bible, you can. It's the Gospel of John, chapter 2. And I'll read just verses 1 through 11. And at the end, I'll say this is the word of the Lord and you can agree and say thanks be to God. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for the Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, Fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, Now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. And this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. We, uh, we shouldn't find it surprising, although this might be an interesting tidbit of information to you, that in the Eastern Orthodox Church, the church that fills out the eastern part of the world, this story of the wedding at Cana is very important. And it stands alongside the story of Jesus' birth, his nativity, the visit of the wise men, the magi, and the baptism of Jesus as the events that 
are celebrated and commemorated on Epiphany. Now, some of you are, are familiar with Epiphany. Epiphany. It's a Christian feast or festival day, and it's traditionally celebrated on January 6th. And Epiphany literally means appearing, and it speaks to the revealing or the revelation, the uh, appearance of, of God the Son in the human being, Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that these four events are held together because each of them help to, f- to fill in certain details and round out our understanding of Jesus' identity and of his purpose. His nativity, his birth, reminds us that he came as a lowly babe, far from the halls of, of power and of influence. The visit of the wise men at the same time reveals that this babe was, in fact, a king, worthy of the worship of humanity. And at his baptism, perhaps you'll remember, the voice of God rings out from the heavens, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And the dove falls on his shoulder, the symbol of the Holy Spirit. So what is revealed to us about Jesus, about his character, about his person at this wedding scene in Cana? What does This first of the signs, and there will be several more signs that Jesus performs in this gospel. But what does this first sign that Jesus would perform say about who he was and what he had come to do? What does it show to us about his character and about his mission? Well, as I read the passage, it was easy to hear some interesting little descriptive statements and even some quotes from some of the characters involved that The gospel writer, no doubt, has has shaped in this story to say some very important things to us. And some, perhaps, are very easy for us to spot and identify. Others, maybe we just blew right past. But I want to spend a few moments identifying some of these statements, some of these descriptive words from this passage as we think about what this passage wants to say. If we'll hear, it will say to us a lot, I believe, about the identity and purpose of Jesus, if we'll have ears to listen here at this Christmas season. The first one is this little statement that, again, perhaps would have been easy for us to, to move right on by if, uh, if we weren't paying attention this morning, but we dare not do that. It's the phrase found there in verse 2. Read it with me. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. This is, this is not just uh, additional information. This is important information. Mary, Jesus' mother, had been invited to this wedding, it seems, and so Jesus and his disciples had gone as well. We've been introduced to Nathaniel in chapter 1. Some of you remember he was the good and upright man full of integrity, and he, we will learn later in the gospel, not until chapter 21, but we'll learn that he was actually from Cana in Galilee. So it's possible that as Jesus met Nathaniel the next day, they went back. Maybe some scholars even suggest it was Nathaniel's wedding. We don't really know. Maybe it was Nathaniel's relative or a friend, but Nathaniel said, I like this guy. These disciples were in. Let's go to a wedding. And Jesus' mother, Mary, was there as well. Whatever the circumstance, we're told that clearly Jesus and his closest disciples had joined in on the party. And it's this simple little almost throwaway piece of information that reminds us of a core Christmas truth that I want us to hold on to this morning. And it's simply this. Jesus came to fully engage with humanity. 
This is not incidental, my friends. How cool is it that Jesus' first miracle happened at a party? His first miracle happened at a wedding as people were gathering to do something very human and Jesus was there. Just the fact even that Jesus and His disciples were even at the wedding speaks volumes to us about who He was and what He'd come to do. And the fact that He would perform a miracle at this wedding just even turns it up another notch. This picture of Jesus at the wedding is one of a a, 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 a God come from heaven to earth who is concerned and who cares very deeply and is very interested and involved in the affairs of his people. He cared. And his presence here, let's, let's squeeze all that we can out of this. His presence reminds us that Jesus didn't come to be this spiritual recluse, this this. Monks separated from the world to be aloof and unapproachable. He was not content to isolate or to insulate himself from the world around him. He was religious, sure. He was modest, yes. But this never led him away from people. It always led him to people. To humanity. Jesus has come to share life with us, my friends. He has come to invest in us, to be completely present with us, to fully engage in our human experience. Let's not miss it. This scene is without a doubt a way that John wants to make clear that we understand that this Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God, and in capital letters, with us. He is God with us. Not removed, not distant, but entering right into the daily joys and challenges of life. Well, whatever you think of the Roman Catholic Church and the papacy, we have to all admit that the new pope has done quite a shake-up in that uh, that faith, tradition, and in the world. Uh, and, And much of what he has stood for in the time that he has been pope is really beautifully related to this movement of Jesus towards the world. Even the name that this Pope took, Pope Francis, to to draw remembrances of Francis of Assisi, a a son of a wealthy family who forsook the the beautiful ease and, and, and privileges of life to go and to serve among the poor, speaks about what Pope Francis is wanting to be all about. And the, the legend is growing of the Pope riding buses and riding bicycles and sneaking out of the Vatican. The Vatican has officially denied this, but rumors have circulated that he dresses up as a common priest and sneaks out of the Vatican so that he can go and serve alms to the poor. read recently about a, an official position that had been at the Vatican. I can't remember the name of the position. It was... In Latin. I don't think it was, but I didn't understand what it was. But it was, it was essentially a position that had been given to an old, old person. And it was basically a, a formality. Just a position where the person would sit behind his desk and, and just kind of take on people who would come into the Vatican. Well, Pope Francis shook things up by replacing 
that person in that job with a 50-year-old priest who was full of energy and full of action. And I wrote down what he said to them, said to this new Vatican worker. He said, you can sell your desk. You don't need it. You need to get out of the Vatican. Don't wait for people to come ringing. You need to go out and look for the poor. This is the image that John wants to come to our minds as we read about this Jesus who doesn't wait around at the temple. Doesn't wait around up on a mountain somewhere. It says there's a wedding. Let's go. Where are the people? Let's go. And a couple of thoughts just come to my mind and maybe to yours even as you hear this portion of the story. The first is simply this. Are we inviting Jesus to be a part of our celebrations? Are we inviting Jesus to be a part of our difficult challenges as well? Are we saying, wow, Jesus, you are the one who likes to be involved in the lives of your people. So here I am. Here's my life. Here's the great times. Be a part of them, will you? Here's the challenging and difficult times. I need you so desperately. I read this week that the, the, the problem with not praying is not that actual time of prayer necessarily, but that it, it fails to create in us a capacity to pray the next day. When we pray one day, we begin to stir and build and create in ourselves a capacity to pray and to interact with Jesus in new ways and days to come. Are we praying to Jesus so we might create new space, a new capacity that he might come and be a part of our everyday moments of our lives? Are we saying to him, you're invited? And can I get somewhat personal and specific to those of you who are engaged? And getting married in months to come. Um, Jesus wants to come to your wedding. And he wants to come to your marriage. And in honoring marriage in this passage, he challenges those of us who are married to make sure that the, he's the top name on the guest list. Come and be honored, Jesus in our weddings, in our marriages, in our lives. But it says one other just quick thing to me. It's just this idea that are we following Jesus into the world? Are we following him when he goes to the places where the, the people are? His incarnation, his full engagement with humanity is not only a gift for us to receive, but it's an example for us to imitate. And so I'm reminded today of the importance of finding ways to be present with the presence of Jesus in the world in which we live. To recognize that, that we too are sent to go to the places where the people are and to be the presence of Jesus to them. Today we'll have our open house. And it's a little bit, I guess, different because we're inviting them to come to us. But you may see some people. We hope that you'll come. I say this just about every year. We hope that you'll come, and we hope that you'll... Say it with me. Go. It's a come and go open house. And part of that is because, as Aaron alluded to, it's a very full guest list. And we've invited all of you, but in the last few years, we've invited our neighbors and we've invited the teachers at our children's school and the coaches from their teams and other parents that we've gotten to know and families that we've gotten to know. And I've been fielding 
questions from people all week. Yeah, I'm coming to your house. I'm coming to your house. Great, great. So today, let me just... Let me just issue you a bit of a challenge. You can live this out even right now. Instead of when you see somebody at a house that you don't know, instead of saying, who are you? And what are you doing here at the Coast Community Open House? Can you look at them and say, how do you know James and Kyla? And begin a, a conversation with somebody that you don't know that might begin to build into a, a, a relationship, potentially a friendship, as even to these who have come, we, learn, we are learning how to go, to fully engage. Where are the situations in your life? Where are the conversations that are happening all around you that you're, you're, you're skipping? Where are the interactions at work or in your neighborhood that you're looking out your window at but not involving yourself in? What would it look like to engage in that? What would it look like just to take a step of friendship, a step of encouragement, a step of life as we move? I got to tell you something. That's where Jesus is. That's where Jesus is. So will we follow him into these places? Well, another portion of the story that grabbed my attention and it grabbed yours as well, I heard you chuckle. Uh, every time I read the story, it gets me, is the interaction between Jesus and his mother Mary. I mean, stereotypes abound about Mary in this passage. And, and actually scholars have looked at it and been, tried to evaluate what she says and how she says it in the context of the day and the, the, the setting and we're not exactly sure if Jesus is being harsh with her when he says, woman, the NLT has, the NLT has made it nice, haven't they? When they say, dear woman, they're trying to capture this conflict that we don't quite know. It, it, the truth is that he only refers to Mary one other time in this gospel, and that's when he's on the cross and he looks down and again calls her woman. And so it may have been almost an affectionate title that Jesus had for his mother, but, but we also love the part where he says, no, it's not my time, Mom. I got, you know, I'm just here to party. And she says, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. I love this phrase. Love this verse. Love this thought. This woman who could have felt disrespected and put off responds with great faith and says, I don't care what he said. I believe in him. Do whatever he tells you. It isn't exactly sure if uh, she had seen his miraculous powers at work in their home growing up. Wasn't sure if in this moment she's like, wait, virgin birth. The way he got here was fairly miraculous. And so maybe he can make some more wine too. And so take care of his business. Get to it, son. Maybe Mary was just embarrassed. I mean, the fact that this wedding would have run out of wine was a tremendous social disgrace in the day. Just a tremendous embarrassment, first of all to the hosts, first of all to the bride and groom, but perhaps to Mary as well. I invited all these guys. <laughs> and they're drinking all the wine. Whatever the case, Jesus seems intent to not let Mary press him into service. And Later on in John, he'll say, I can only do my Father's work. And, and yet, Mary presses, and it becomes his Father's work. It's in this context, again, that Mary speaks some of these most profound words of the entire New Testament. If we'll just look at that verse, and meditate on that verse, and realize that perhaps it just doesn't get much better than that. 
in all of Scripture. These words uttered from the mother of Jesus. Words that are key, the key that seem to unlock this story so that it can move to its conclusion. And words, I believe, that if we were to take them to our hearts and adhere to them by the power of the Holy Spirit in our day would result in unknown blessing and unimagined impact in our world. What would the world be like if the servants of Jesus were simply to do what He tells us to do? It's when the servants begin to respond in trust and obedience to Jesus that then things begin to happen. The water is filled into the stone pots. It's turned into wine. It's brought to the Master of Ceremonies. A transformation has occurred. A miracle has happened. Nobody knows about it except for the Master of Ceremonies at this point. But taken together, Mary's statement and this resulting action point us toward another key truth we remember at Christmas. It's simply this, that Jesus came with power and authority. Jesus came to fully engage with humanity and He came with power and authority. Again, born a humble baby, as we said, far from the halls of power and influence. Yet this baby was one whose power was superior to any on the earth. Though not imposing His will on the world, this Jesus was one who and is worthy of our attention. He had just told Nathaniel back in chapter 1. Do you remember when Nathaniel said, Wow, you saw me over the hill and under the fig tree. That's great. Lord my God. Yes, wonderful. And Jesus said, You believe me because of that? Hold on, buddy. Buckle your seatbelt. Because you're getting ready to see heaven opened. And the blessings of God poured out on the earth. And here, just a few short verses later, what happens? Heaven opens. Heaven and earth intersect in the person of Jesus. And transformation and change begins to happen. Here was Jesus transforming water to wine, blessing the wedding host. Just imagine the relief. That's right. That's, that's, that's the wine we held out for you. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> blessing the wedding hosts. Blessing all these guests with this miraculous power. Saving them from shame and from embarrassment. But at the same time, in this miracle, pointing to an even greater and larger Truth that has been at work and continues to be at work in and will be throughout all of history. For here was this sign, this water to wine sign pointing to the transformational effect that Jesus can have on our lives and on our world, on all of His creation. There is a guest, my friends who desires to come into our lives with power and with authority to bring, as we sang, new life, new hope, and new joy. To turn our mourning into dancing. To turn our sorrow into gladness. To turn our darkness into light. This guest has come, as John will later reveal to us, so that we might have life by His power and have it to the full. So at one level, we read this story with our own failures and disappointments in mind, our own empty wine vats. 
And we remember the transformation that came when someone took Mary's words seriously. And it's those words then that become Mary's instructions to us and to readers of this gospel in every generation. They're our invitation to trust, our invitation to obey. The one who comes with power and authority demands and deserves our attention. And so we have our orders, friends. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Well, the third phrase I just want to hit on briefly is this idea that this phrase that comes uh, from the master of ceremonies. The, the last words from the MC, as the wedding, uh, at the wedding, as the groom has, uh, or as, as he's called the groom over, after he's tasted the new wine that Jesus has created, and as he expresses to the groom, and maybe we don't, we're not exactly sure why he was sharing this information, just the shrewd human practice, or maybe this was something else, but he shares that the common practice was for the host to serve the best wine first, and then the cheap stuff after the guests are a little tipsy. But this time, the master of the ceremonies looks at the groom and to all the readers of this gospel, and perhaps even to the Father in heaven, and says, you have kept the best until now. Uh, the, the college group on Wednesday nights, which I'm not a college student, but uh, I get to have been going to this uh, small group on Wednesday nights, and we've had a great time. And, and bless Donna's heart. Where is Donna? Children. Oh, great. We can talk about her. In a good way. In a good way, without embarrassing her too much. But Donna, just and, and the family, I'm not sure how much Greg has input on this, but wonderful meal, and always finishes with dessert. Oh, it's so good. And, and we usually save dessert until after the Bible study, so no one will leave. No, that's not the reason. <laughs> but, um, but, but I will speak a little bit about my friend Jason Tomsky here, because Jason rarely ate the dessert, and we always wonder, why, why aren't you eating? And finally, somebody said, why aren't you eating? He goes, oh, I have dessert when I get home. I get those Magnum chocolate ice cream bars. What's your brand? What's your... Uh, Double chocolate Magnum ice cream bar. And he began just to describe it to us a little bit, and our mouths began to water, and, and we began to think, wow, I understand. I mean, this dessert's great. But... And so the next week, we gathered for Bible study. And, and we finished our meal, and, and before we even headed over into the living room to begin our Bible study, Donna brought out a few boxes of Magnum chocolate ice cream bars. Oh, and they were luscious. Right? I mean, they're rich, they're velvety, and they're cold, and they're full of flavor, and they're so good. I didn't really know a chocolate ice cream bar could be so good. Donna had it saved the best for last. I just I love this this idea. I mean, here here it was this this went beyond any chocolate ice cream bar humankind had ever known before. <laughs> and there we were, just eating up, just eating up. Of course, the MC thinks that he's just speaking about the new wine. He just thinks he's talking about this wine. You saved the best for last. Good job, well done. 
But it's clear on another level that John wants us to hear these words in reference to another person. Here's more than a description of the wine being served, but of the one who has made that wine possible. The one who has brought life and hope and joy. Many scholars point to those those jars that were used, the the 20 to 30 gallon water jars for Jewish purification rites. They they would have been used primarily for the people to wash their hands, to, to accomplish or to satisfy the the requirements of the Jewish legal system to make sure that they were ritually cleansed and and pure. They point to them as symbolizing the old way, the way things had been done to this point, and the new wine, the new way. The way things were going to be from here on out. Because all of this, all of what had been, was pointing to what was now being realized. Oh, Father, you have saved the best for last. And you get this sense that the gospel writer just wants us to sit in awe for just a moment of that statement and just think to ourselves here, even this morning, how privileged we are to live in a day where we get to celebrate and worship and live for this New wine. This Jesus. Well, the sign, again, is about more than wine. It points to this reality that Jesus came to be the hope of the world. Jesus came to be the hope of the world. He's the ultimate offer of hope and life and salvation. Everything that's happened before is pointing to what's happening Now in Him, there isn't, and this stands for us too, as it did for the disciples, it's as if John wants us to be sure and know that there isn't another offer coming along. There isn't anything better coming after this. Don't wait around. Don't don't hold your cards close to the vest. Don't don't, uh, anticipate that maybe things might get better. No, the best has come. God has given us His very best. Because he's given us of himself. And so this last phrase simply says that the disciples uh, put their trust in him. They believed in him. And it's our invitation as well. They saw what had happened. We see what has happened. We see even beyond what has happened in this wedding, this Christmas wedding, to what Jesus has done, where he would go in his ministry, where he would go on the cross and in the empty tomb. We see And we are invited to believe in Him as well. So we're going to receive the Lord's Supper this morning. The the last time that we'll do so in this Advent season, we've received communion the last um, four weeks as we've worked our way through this season of Advent. And what a blessing it has been to my heart and my life. I hope to yours as well. As we're reminded, even in these elements today, this this bread and this juice that symbolizes Jesus' what? His body and his blood fully engaged in humanity. Took on our very physical form so that we might become like him in his death and in his life. So we come and we receive and we take the bread and we 
dip it into the juice and we remember not only his full engagement, but we remember what he's done for us in terms of his sacrifice, the salvation and the hope and the life that he offers to us. And it's our belief in the Wesleyan tradition of which we are a part that, that as John Wesley put it, this sacrament might be a converting ordinance. Which simply means that as you come anytime, but as you come even today, it might be a moment as you take the bread and dip it in the juice that you are converted. That you are a Christian. That you become a follower of Jesus. And there may be some here who it's uh, one of your first times or you haven't really been around the church very long and you haven't really ever had that moment. You've heard testimonies of people in recent weeks who have had that moment where they said, yes, Jesus, I'm all in. What you did for me, I'm responding to now in faith. I want you and you alone to be in my heart, to forgive me of my sin and to lead me in this new life. There may be some of you who've been around for just a short time or some of you have been around this church or others for a long time but have never really said those words. I've never really experienced a moment of converting power, the converting power of Jesus in your life. And today, I am saying to you, might be that moment where those of us who perhaps are good at playing the Christian cultural game could become truly Christian for even the very first time. The others, perhaps, who would say, I need to be reconverted. <laughs> I need to reaffirm my choice as this Jesus, this new wine, as the Lord and the leader of my life. The best has been saved for now. And I want to fully receive and fully live in to that gift. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence with us here even this morning. Thank you that, uh, that you, you like weddings. Thank you that you like places where human people gather. Thank you that you like to give fully and freely of yourself. You, you love to go to us. And again, you've come to us in those weeks of Advent and again here this morning. Even as we celebrate communion, as we come to, to, to receive, come to to take this gift that you are providing. We just believe in some special, not magical or, or weird way, but we just believe that your presence is with us in a, in a very special and supernatural way as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. As we, as we hold and distribute this bread and this juice, we believe that, that this is the grace of Jesus, the grace of God that's being handed out to us and your presence is, is very real and very available to us this morning. And so I'm praying for us as we come today, that we would do so with hearts full of joy and hearts full of gratitude. And that if perhaps there would be some here today who have never just had that moment, taken that moment to say, this is my day. This is my moment where I receive all of who you are, Jesus, and give all of who I know myself to be to you that maybe some would simply say that as they receive the bread and the juice today. And others across this room who have had that moment would affirm it and hold on to it and give thanks to you with joyful hearts for it today. We desire, O oh God, to be your people, your people who receive and from you and then who are sent to you.
sent by you into the world. So as you met with your disciples that night that you were betrayed, Jesus, meet with us now. As you passed the the bread and blessed it and said, this is my body broken for you, take of it and eat, say those same words to us. We remember and we will eat of this bread. And as you passed the cup, Jesus, and blessed it and said, this is the cup of salvation, the symbol of my blood shed for you. We hear those same words to us today, Jesus. And we receive of the cup with gratitude in our hearts. May you be glorified. May you be lifted up. May you have your way even now in these moments. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.